I'm preaching on humility this morning, okay? We're in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. You can make your way there. Uh, but I'm preaching on, uh, on humility this morning, and, and something like really extravagant happened in my life last night <laughs> at about 11 o'clock p.m. And uh, I want you to know that I've made every effort not to rub anything in anybody who is a Tar Heel fan or a Duke fan um, into your face. I even wore Tar Heel blue this morning, okay? So I'm being very intentional to not even mention or anything or say anything about some certain team from Texas that I went to school at that is in the final two, the Red Raiders of Texas Tech. Forgive me, all right? Take your Bibles, turn them to Philippians chapter two uh, this morning. I want to tell you a story. So we just sang a song that refers to hallelujah. Um, well, did you know there's two different spellings of hallelujah? Um, in a town called Creeley, Colorado, there was a dispute that arose in a church um, that had to do with this word hallelujah. At the full gospel temple in this church, a decision was made that they were going to hang a banner for Easter with the word hallelujah on it. But that became a little bit of a debated topic and began to create a little bit of dissension in the church. Not that they were hanging a banner, uh, but the spelling of the word hallelujah. You see, some people say the word hallelujah with the H and a J in it. But another way, very same word, similar word, same meaning is hallelujah without the H. So word with the H, word without the hallelujah, hallelujah. You might not even know the difference, but to this church it was a big deal. And it ended up being a big debate and a split over it. There was the hallelujah side and then there was the hallelujah side. Which way are we going to spell it? One man got together and he put together a group that basically began to hold rallies and late night threats were given up, petitions were drawn. One man who was an hallelujah supporter was nearly clobbered by a rock that came through his window. And on the rock just simply bore the name and the, the, the word hallelujah. Both sides were adamant. I mean, this is beginning to split the church. They had grown up with a particular spelling all their lives, one way or the other, and they were certain and adamant that their way was correct. Their way was the right way. One hallelujah supporter was quoted in the newspaper saying this, it makes a tremendous difference when you open your eyes and see it there on the banner, spelled wrong so jarring to see it without the H at the beginning. Nobody spells it that way anymore. Evelyn Haney, 57-year-old, said this, I was so sick about it I couldn't sleep. She was equally an ardent hallelujah supporter. She carried a sign in the recent day picketing. She said this, to think some people spell this word with a J in it. It's not something where I would question their salvation, but you have to wonder sometimes. The two churches now meet in separate auditoriums and each has a fashion banner to suit their own preference. Um, one says hallelujah, one says hallelujah, and they both agree that worship now is so much better. You know, when church problems arise, when dissension begins to grow up in the church in some way, shape, or form, we 
have a common solution for so often when there's conflict or disagreement. And it's not just a common solution just for the churches we're going to see. It's also a common solution for our relationships that we're in. And that means this. The common solution is this. Just go to a different one. You don't like it? Leave. You disagree with something? We'll go to a different one. It's kind of like the guy who, he was uh, a lone castaway found upon a stranded island. He lived there for, for a decade almost, and rescuers discovered that he was there. He came, they came out, and they came to the island and, and rescued this guy. And as they were pulling him off the island, putting him on the boat, they, they noticed these two huts that were there, and they stopped and said, well, what are these two huts? We see your house and what you built to live in, but what are these two other huts? And he said, well, this one is the church that I go to. Oh, that's awesome. Had your faith get you through this long, lonely moment. Well, what's that one? Well, that's the church I used to go to. Hey, can I just, can I just tell you, let me just tell you something about, about, if you're new at First Baptist Charlotte, you need to know this about us, and I want you to know this about me. We are not a perfect church. We have problems, all right? And I'm not a perfect pastor. I have problems. The truth of the matter is you're not going to find one. That's, that's kind of the unique part. You're, no church is perfect. And if you're looking for the perfect church, if you're looking for the perfect relationship, if you're looking for the person, perfect person, you are not going to find it. The church that Paul was writing this letter to in Philippians was no different. They had their problems, just like every church has their problems. And as Paul's talking about joy, and Paul's talking about where he is in their journey, and thinking and praying for this people, he makes a point of something in chapter 2, verse 14, about dissension, and about unity, and about working together, that I want to draw your attention to this, this morning. Because I think this is vitally important for us as a church. We can be gung-ho as a church. We can be sold out to the gospel. We can be serious about the mission. We can have the greatest mission statement. We can have the greatest plan and program. We can have everything put together. But if we don't have harmony, if there's not a unity, we miss it. So listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Would you stand in honor of God's word this morning? Verse 1, he says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Lord, I pray you'd speak to our hearts this morning, that you would bring us together, that you would help us put each other before ourselves. May we decrease, may Christ increase, and may each other in our eyes and hearts increase as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Paul had a lot of joy. This is a joyful book that he writes. Philippians is the most joyful book of all the books of the Bible. He had a lot of joy, and it was joy in a really unique situation. I mean, the guy's in prison, and he found a lot of this joy, and he says it numerous times throughout the book. Some of his joy was drawn from this church, this church at Philippi, that he loved them. He knew that they were praying for them. He knew that they were financially supporting him. He had seen through their support of him and his courage and his faithfulness to the gospel, he'd seen some incredible things happen, like 
prison guards come to faith in Jesus Christ. He'd seen local pastors encouraged. He was excited even about the soon coming opportunity. He was joyful about the possibility that he would get to share the gospel soon with Emperor Nero. This guy had a lot of reasons to be joy. But here in verse 2, he says, my joy's not complete yet. There's a piece of the puzzle missing. And church, I need your help with it. I need you to do something. I need you to take up on a, a mentality and an attitude, a disposition to help my joy be complete. That's what he says in verse 2. Complete my joy. I want to be completely happy in prison. I want to be completely happy I am where I am at this end of my journey and this end of my road. And one thing that will help complete my joy is to know that this church that I've poured into, that I've spent time, that I've prayed over, that loves me and I love them, that they are in harmony. That they're like-minded, that they're loving each other, that they're of one spirit, of one purpose, that they're together. This church, like so many other churches, had problems. You will never find one that doesn't. You will never find one that doesn't. And for that matter, you will never find a marriage that doesn't have problems. You'll never find a friendship that doesn't have problems. You'll never find a best friend or a close friend that you don't have problems with and problems don't arise. You'll never find a family that doesn't have problems. Harmony is something that we have to work for, that we have to fight for. And here's what I want you to understand first. Harmony pleases God. Harmony pleases God. Paul says, man, listen, make my joy complete. Paul's striving after the joy of God. And part of that joy of God is finding harmony in the church. Harmony pleases God. Listen to what Psalms 133 verse 1 says. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 1 John chapter 2 verse 9 says this. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. But whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling what God is looking for uh, from his people and amongst his people is harmony. Is a unity. Is a oneness. And he cares so much about it in our relationships and in our marriages and our friendships and in our church. He cares so much about it that he's given us the ability for harmony. He's enabled us and equipped us with everything we need to have the harmony he desires to build in our lives. Christ has made it possible. You have the ability for harmony in the church. You have the ability for harmony in your marriage. You have the ability for harmony in your friendships. Notice what he says here. So if there's, if there's, if there's any encouragement in Christ, verse 1. If you've got any encouragement of Christ, if you've got any comfort from his love, if any participation in the Spirit, any affection, sympathy, complete my joy. Do this. So this, this, the question is, let's answer those questions. Paul's kind of throwing out a rhetorical, like, if, if you have, if you have any, any encouragement in Christ. So let me ask you that question. Do you have, do you have any encouragement in Christ? 
Well, tell your face, all right? Tell your head. Does Christ encourage you? All right, so does Christ encourage you? There you go. So yeah, you do. You have some, you got some encouragement for Christ. Yeah, I think it is pretty cool that the Spirit of God walks with us and he's the encourager with us. Uh, do you have, you have any comfort in his love? Like does it in any way, shape or form, does it comfort you to think about the fact that God loves you? Even though you're unlovable and unworthy of that love, that God loves you and that God has demonstrated his love for you in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Does that encourage you and all this comfort you and all that God would go to such great lengths and give up so much that he would slaughter his own son on the cross to save you and that his son would give up his life? Is that in any way, shape, or form comforting to you? Yes. Absolutely it is. Any help of the Spirit, he, he goes on and he, and he says, any participation in the Spirit, did you not when you gave your life to Christ? And at the moment of your salvation, receive the Holy Spirit. And have you not along the way had help of the Spirit walking through you and participating in your life and working through you? Any affection, any sympathy? What, what Paul is saying, you got all this stuff. You have all this stuff. The great depths and lengths of what God has done for you and what he's poured into you. You have the capacity. You have the ability. Paul is basically in a sense saying, listen, If Jesus Christ has ever done anything for you, if he means anything to you, if the cross of Christ has worked in any way within your life, please make my joy complete. by having harmony. Jesus Christ did not come to save two people, to shower their lives and fill their souls with his goodness and his mercy and his grace just to have those two people divorce. Jesus didn't come and shed his sweet loving blood upon the cross just so two people that are in this room would never speak again because of some stupid issue at church. All that he's done to give us harmony with his Father enables us and empowers us to have harmony with one another. And within our relationships and within our lives and within our, our church. And so he speaks of this harmony, this, this, being, this being same mind, this same attitude, this same focus, this same love, this love that we share in Christ that's from Christ, not just feelings, but, but actually demonstrated by Christ and lived out through our activities and actions, being a full accord, that we're bound together, that we're working together, that we're working as one, with one mind, one focus, one direction, one, one focus here. Jesus has enabled it. And I think, listen, I think the crowning glory of the church is not the size of the, not the amount of the offering plate dollars. It's not how sweet and thick and well tuned out 
manuals are or the bylaws are. It's not how beautiful and ornate the building is. I don't think Jesus cares about that at all. I think the crowning glory of his work in the church is to take a bunch of broken people that are messed up and have selfish issues and problems and bring them together under one purpose, one meaning, one reason, one gospel, and it work. I think harmony is the crowning glory. Listen, listen. You can have the most incredible music in the world. You can have the, the coolest, sweetest pastor now you don't have that. So someone else could have that. But you can have, you can have it all. You can have building, you get, you get prime real estate, prime location, a great name. But if you don't have unity, you ain't got nothing. If you don't have harmony, you're missing it. But Jesus says, Paul's saying, listen, you gotta do this. You gotta bring this in. And listen, I say that to the same thing with our families here. You can buy the diamond ring and make it wonderful. You can have the great anniversaries. You can have the beautiful home. You can have the, the sweet vacations. You can have all the things that a happy couple would have. But if you don't have harmony, none of that matters. You can have none of that, but you can have harmony and make it. So how do, how do, you, how do you build harmony? How do you have harmony? How do, how do we build this in our church? And how do we build this in our marriages? How do we build this in, in our, 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 our families? I mean, it's really great. I agree with you. Amen, pastor. But like, let's be a little bit more practical here. Well, let's be practical because Paul's really practical here. So he says, listen, I, I need you to do this. I want you to do this. Christ enabled you to do this. This is, this is something that pleases God. You have the ability for harmony. But, but here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Verse 3. Here's the practical side of this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interest in others. Do you, do you know how you produce harmony like Paul's talking about in verse 2? Like Jesus died to give us. Do you know how you produce that where, where there's disagreements and misunderstandings and problems? you know how you overcome that and work through that and build harmony through that? One word, humility. Where there is humility, there will be harmony. Humility leads to harmony. Humility is putting the welfare of others ahead of you. It's less of you and more of others. It's putting yourself in second place, or third place, or fourth place. It's the opposite of pride and arrogance. Humility is lifting others up and bringing yourself down. Now, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Well, like what I need to think about is that I'm pathetic and that I'm horrible and I'm a bad person and I'm a nobody. That's not what humility is. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And there are two enemies, Paul tells us here, of humility. 
So there's the call of humility in verse 3, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Think of others higher than you. Think of them more significant than you, more important of you. But then he gives us the two, the two counters of that, the two, the two enemies of humility. And they're really simple. He says it here in verse 2. Selfish ambition, vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit. What is selfish ambition? Selfish ambition is a drive, a desire for what I want. Vain conceit is the reason I want it, me. It's a drive to do, it's doing so that I can get what I want and why am I trying to get what I want? Because I'm a big deal. I want to be prominent. I want to be popular. That's, that's selfish ambition. Why? Because I'm more deserving. That's vain conceit. I want others to yield to what I say and to do what I say. That's selfish ambition. Why? Because my thoughts, my desires, my happiness matters more than theirs. That's vain conceit. I want my way. Selfish ambition. Why? Because I am more important than conceit. This is the spirit. This is the attitude that is counter to the culture that Christ is trying to build in our lives and in our relationships and in our church. This is the spirit of dissension that got Satan kicked out of heaven. A selfish ambition, a vain conceit. This is what creates conflicts. This is what leads to split. Bottom line, this attitude of selfish ambition, vain conceit, the opposite of humility is what causes divorce. Think about it, think about it. Every broken relationship, every disunity, every disharmony, every divorce, every split. When you boil it down, is it ultimately not selfish ambition and vain conceit that are the root? I want my way. I want what I want because I am more important. Let's be honest. The problem in our marriages is not money, busyness, and kids. The problem in most of our marriages is selfishness. The problem in our churches is not a lack of funds, bad location, or archaic traditions. The problem, selfishness. A lack of humility. A lack of considering others more significant than ourselves. We think more 
of ourselves and less of others. But humility is the opposite of selfish ambition. And humility leads to harmony. Selfish ambition and vain conceit lead to dissension, but humility leads to harmony. How does it lead to harmony? Notice verse 4, let each of you, here's how you do it, here's how you flesh this out. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. So what Paul's saying is like, it's not a bad idea, it's not a bad thing for you to care about things that you care about. Like just because you like a certain sports team and this other person likes a different sport team doesn't mean you have to hate your sports team. That's something I really had to think about moving to North Carolina, all right? I had to really pray through that. And it was like, God was like, hey, you can still be a Texas Tech fan. You can still be a Dallas Cowboy fan. You just better make a really big deal about the Panthers too. You ought to care about what they care about. And so I do. Is that, is that putting yourself away? But it's looking beyond yourself. Huh. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but, but also to the interests of others. Like you're not the only person in the world. And you're not the only person you're to care about. You're not the only person you're to think about. Humility says, bring that notch down a little bit. Turn the dial on you down. And turn the dial up on others. It's this attitude that says, you know what? It doesn't have to be my way. Because I can see that others would benefit from your way. It's this attitude that says, you know, things don't necessarily have to please me. Because I can see that they're meeting the needs of others. It's the attitude that says, you know what? It may not be the music that I prefer. In fact, I don't like it. But the leadership's decision, and it's clear that others enjoy it. I may not like the leader's decision. I may not like what they're doing. It may go against what I would prefer and what I would select and what I would want. But you know, that's okay. Because what I want, how I think it ought to be, is not the deciding factor. The deciding factor is what's good for others. The decision you've made isn't the best for me, but that's okay because it's not about me. I think I got the raw end of the deal. This is what humility says. I think I got the raw end of the deal. What happened, what was said, what was done wasn't fair. What you did was wrong and it wasn't fair. And I got the raw end of that deal. But that's okay. Because what happens to me is not the main thing. Keeping in harmony is more important. I wasn't treated the way I was. This is what humility says. I wasn't treated the right way, the way I think of should have been treated. And I was hurt, but that's okay because inside me, I have the capacity through Jesus Christ to forgive and be loving, kind, because you need to be treated that way from me. Yet that's not the attitude that we have. The attitude of so many Christ followers is so unlike Christ. You step on my toes, you mess with my life, you hurt my heart, that's bad for you. 
because I'm bad news. And unless you make it right, and unless you make it up, and unless you say sorry and admit it the right way, unless you come down on your knees, then buddy, you are in trouble. That is not the attitude of Christ. I'm so grateful that Christ didn't say, Robert Welch, get on your knees, beg me, and I'll think about coming down and getting on that cross. Yet for some reason, people who have that grace and have that mercy in their heart do not treat other people who have that the same way. What's wrong with us? I tell you what's wrong with us. Selfish ambition, vain conceit. The very thing Jesus shed his blood cleanse us from. You see, humility leads to harmony. Humility is what pleases God in our lives. It's this attitude that we value others, that we put others, that we think of others above ourselves. That our attitude is your needs, your interests come ahead of mine. They matter more than mine do. In fact, in my eyes, you are more important than me. Man, that, that's the attitude that spouses ought to have for each other. That the person that I share the bed with and share a ring with and said my vows to matters more than me. That their needs, their values, their interests come before mine. But that's not what you see so often in marriage. And when you don't see that in marriage, what you eventually see in that, in that marriage is a brokenness. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility says and truly believes it's not about me. And there is the ability within us through Jesus Christ to have it. But because there's not a lot of humility, we don't have it. We don't have the harmony. i never forget a Sunday that I was at church and I happened to be, it was raining really hard outside. I was trying to be a good pastor and help out open the door and let people come in um, and stuff. It was raining real hard. And there was a couple that got out of the car and it was raining. It was a dad and a mom and a kid. And uh, husband was doing what he's supposed to do as a husband. He was holding the umbrella. He was fighting the, this wind and this rain that was coming. And they were walking like really, really slow. Because they got a kid and they got a mom and they're walking really, really slow. And I can see this husband's getting a little frustrated because his feet are getting wet. His pants are getting wet. You know how it is when you have an umbrella, like you still get wet. And so he finally, in frustration, just makes a bolt for the door with the umbrella in hand. <laughs> and here I am at the door waiting for him. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So daughter and mom continue to walk in being drenched in rain. Like, all right, we're going to have to hold the service back because we've got marriage counseling here on the front steps of the church right now. So he gets there and she gets there. And naturally, she looks at him and she says, why did you do that, you stupid idiot? I thought that was actually pretty kind. <laughs> to which he replied, because y'all were going slow and we were getting wet. Now, you know what? They were both right. They were going slow and getting wet. 
and he was a stupid idiot. <laughs> you see, when we look to our own interest, when we put us first, there is not unity. There is dysfunction. There are issues. There is brokenness and there is a lack of harmony. What humility says is, you know what, honey, I, I, don't, I, I really want to watch sports tonight. But, and I do not want to watch HGTV. But what I want is not as important as you want. So, fixer upper it is. <laughs> humility says, what I did was foolish, I regret it, and I'm sorry because your feelings matter more than my pride. Humility is, honey, what you said hurt me, and I should hold this against you, but I forgive you. Humility is and says, I think my decision, my way is right. But I don't have to win this argument. You can be right. Humility says, hey, man, finally there has been some good weather. It's been raining in North Carolina like months. I saw Noah the other day. <laughs> and finally we're getting some good weather. This is golf weather. And I haven't got to play golf. And, but humility says, but, but you know what? My kids haven't spent time with me. And my wife needs a date. And so that's more important. You see, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's putting other people before. It says, I'm tired and I don't want to help around the house. I have worked all week long and that's your job. That's not what humility says. Humility says, I may be tired, but you know what? You may be tired too, so I will help. Where is that kind of humility in people. Where is that kind of humility in people who proclaim Christ within their marriages, within their relationships, within their friendships, within their church? Each one considering others more deserving themselves. Each one looking more for the interest of others and needs. In the harmony, when there's harmony in the church, when there's harmony within our lives, things get done. Stuff happens when that happens. We have healthy marriages. We have healthy homes. We have a healthy church. You say, but, pastor, you don't know my husband. You don't know my, you don't know my situation. You don't know, you've only been here for five months. You don't know what happened five years ago. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how they treated me. I think it's a great, that's wonderful sermon, beautiful, sweet, but you don't know our situation. Okay, that's fine. No, I don't. Oh, wait, time out. Before we continue that conversation, 
about what I don't know and whatever but you have. Did you know there's a verse 5 here? There is. Check this out. Verse 5. Turn in your Bibles to verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. This is good. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Jesus did not have to come here and give up his throne which belonged to him at the right hand of the Father which belonged to him and the riches of heaven which he earned. But he saw you and he said you're more important. He considered you and me more significant than himself. There was no but for him. But do you know how bad they cuss? Do you know how mean they are? Do you know what they think about? Do you know what they smoked? Do you know what they drank? Do you know how many people they've hurt? Do you know what they say about you? Do you know how they use your name in vain, God, Father? Do you know this? But you don't understand. No, he didn't say any of that. He came. And he bled and he died so you could have harmony with the father he's our example but Jesus Listen, church, just as we close out, there is a world outside these doors that needs that Jesus. And the most effective and significant thing that we can do in preparing to take Jesus to them is not to clean this place up and make it look cool and tune things up and tighten up the budget and get rid of this person and bring this person the most significant thing that we can do is together consider each other more important than ourselves but then as a church consider them more important than ourselves and unite around that. That the lost and dying and their needs are more important than we together who are the saved, and sanctified, and righteous, and satisfied. One mind, one spirit, if we'll unite around that heart, 
I don't think it matters what kind of music we have. I don't think it matters what the building looks like. I think God can use a church in harmony far better than he can use a church with technology. So let's humble ourselves and trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the unity that there is in you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the unity that you seek to bring in us by the power of Jesus working through the Holy Spirit in us. God, forgive us for making it all about me. Forgive me for considering my needs, my wants, my opinions, my things before others. I pray that you would build a humility in these families and in these marriages, that you would build a humility in this church, that we would please you by our harmony brought in by humility. Teach us that way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.